Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 721 with a review of After Sun. I'm Christopher Schnacy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater near you. Um, though I'm not quite certain when this <laughs> film's going to come to a theater near you. Um, it, is, it is currently Halloween night. We are recording this. Steven and I saw this film last week at a little SF film screening here in the city, and uh, I think we were probably assuming that it was maybe going to go more wide this this weekend, but uh, even on the A24 website, it just says, uh, pre-order the film, <laughs> so yeah. no idea when this is going to come to folks, but uh, I think Steven and I have already decided we're still going to have a spoiler conversation for this film, oh, yeah. because it's definitely going to require it, um, but you know, we'll try to get as many thoughts as we can out pre-spoilers for anybody who isn't able to ha- see this film yet but uh yeah um hi- how you doing tonight steven Do- doing pretty good have you thought yet about the fact that tonight we are reviewing a movie with a lead whose character name is callum and a movie with a character <laughs> named Colm co-starring an actor named colin <laughs> has that <laughs> broken your brain yet uh no no hadn't broken my brain yet but uh right but yeah it's definitely it's definitely brain breakable i guess (laughs) yep no i'm i'm doing good i'm happy i so we are recording this a week after watching after sun we both attended a uh screening uh that was hosted by sf film that had the uh the writer director charlotte wells in attendance and so last week I was kind of like fresh off the movie and I had a million thoughts. And this week I'm going to try to conjure them back, uh, you know, <laughs> sipping a little brew, trying to uh, try to get myself back in the touchy feely place that I was a week ago. <laughs> you, you haven't had a good cry yet today, so <laughs> you're needing to find your way back. Exactly. Yeah, but I'll get there. <laughs> OK, good. Um, well, How are you doing? Uh, I, I'm doing well myself. Um, I'm hoping, given that it is Halloween, that uh, the the loud as hell buzzer that is my doorbell is not going to be ringing every five minutes with kids wanting candy um, because like a bad uh, residential area liver dweller, I, I did not put out a bowl of candy for children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, we'll see if they get me back for that. Yeah, our apartment complex let you... Um sign up to say that you are an apartment that will have candy and then they're like distributing a list of what units kids can go to um that's cool i don't know if joanna signed us off or not but i am in my office anyway so i'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure i'm immune no matter what <laughs> that that is a good way to do it I, I know that there's like you know sometimes when we were growing up sometimes churches would do a thing where like everybody drives to the parking lot and just opens up your trunk and like kids just walk yeah. around to all the all the trunks to get candy um which yeah sounds i think Charlie Gacy hell. used to attend those right <laughs> Serial killer murdered punch people dressed up like a clown. You said Gacy, okay. Yeah. Well, we're not here to talk about serial killer clowns or Halloween. We're here to talk Mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, this little trip down memory lane that is after sun. So what do you say we get started, Stephen? Let's do it. All right. We're going to take a listen to the trailer for after sun and then come back and give everyone a review. I love you. Love you. <laughs> that is good. Oh my god, he's doing some real slow motion ninja moves. I think you'll ever move back to Scotland. No. Why? And there's this feeling, once you leave where you're from, that you don't totally belong there again. You know, I want you to know that you can talk to me about anything. Whenever parties you go to, boys you meet, drugs you take. Dad! Oh my god, what even is that? These are my moves. <laughs> no, that's so embarrassing. That's not embarrassing. You okay through there? I don't know. I guess. I just feel a bit down or something. Not you, Ian. Like 
feels like your bones don't work, like you're sinking. You never know where you'll end up, though. You can live wherever you want to live. Be whoever you want to be. All right, so that was the trailer for After Sun. Uh, Sophie reflects on the shared joy and private melancholy of a holiday she took with her father 20 years earlier. Memories real and imagined fill the gaps between as she tries to reconcile the father she knew with the man she didn't. Stephen Miller, what did you think of After Sun? Um, so I was a little worried when I sat down to watch After Sun. I think we discussed a few of the reasons why uh, <laughs> shortly after watching it. One is just I have not really... I mean, I've attended packed screenings before, but I've always managed to get like a reserved seat somewhere where I'm not really close to other people. You know, I'm Alamo is a known quantity at this point, and a like fully packed showing in the Roxy where you're just like smack dab in the middle of everyone. I was already like a little bit on edge. And then um, we did not have the most amazing neighbors or the most amazing, <laughs> like the, the start of the movie, people were shuffling in maybe like five, 10 minutes into the movie starting. And so flashlights were, you know, shining in my face. Um, the guy next to me was being rather loud and he loudly opined that he did not like the movie and he left halfway through only to come back uh, <laughs> because his hat was under a seat and he was looking for it. So I, there were a lot of factors that could hurt, you know, what is a very like delicate experience, you know, a, yeah. a, a movie that you kind of want to be, it feels like a headphone movie, right? Um, and yet I completely adored After Sun. I like fell head over heels for this movie. I think it is a thousand percent my shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very much in the line of like Andrea Arnold movies or Sean Baker movies. Um, I think of it like, like a leave no trace, right? Like a, a daughter's reflection on her father who is there for her and loves her, but then also has his own demons that he's wrestling with and maybe can't provide quite the way she wants him to. Um, it is a honey boy that I'm still allowed to like, you know, that isn't tainted <laughs> by the actual narrative behind it, you know, like a complicated look at a relationship and kind of a a look into the past that feels like a memory and an act of therapy and maybe an act of forgiveness is too strong a word because I don't think there is a thing to forgive here necessarily. But it's like that that complicated feeling of remembering a relationship to a parent who cannot be all the things that a parent might want to be, but also identifying the parts of them that loved you. Um I just found this movie so moving and it does such an excellent job of being naturalistic, putting you directly in the moment, not feeling a need to explain anything, you know, not not feeling a need to uh, subtitle thick Scottish accents, you know, when <laughs> when need be. Um, you are just there. You are picking up on the relationship as they slowly reveal it to you. And I just think absorbing it through osmosis was completely beautiful. It it had this, without getting into spoilers, I think the movie feels like a memory with more feelings bubbling beneath the surface, even before you have any explicit clues that might make you wonder what that is. Um, I just found it extraordinarily moving. And I think so much has to do with the the two lead actors. Um, you know, Paul Mescal is going to get a lot of credit. He's already getting some awards attention, I believe, uh, as Callum, the father who is quite young. I believe he's celebrating his like 31st or 32nd birthday, like fairly young for being the father of an 11 year old daughter, um, which yeah. is one context clue right off the bat that maybe they're their relationship doesn't have quite the providing nature that you sometimes think of when you think of a, a father-daughter relationship to have. Um, but then I really just adored uh, the character of Sophie, played by Frankie Corio, who is just such a natural, you know, a child actor who you you believe her as this character who loves her dad and is kind of sort of 
managing her dad's feelings at the same time. And she has mood swings, like she'll be bright, she'll be in a sad mood, she'll be pissed off. Everything she does just feels like she and Paul Mescal have spent like years together and know each other really, really, really intimately. It just, I just thought watching them interact and have these kind of nothing conversations, like these playful interactions was just so so much a joy that when the gut punches start to hit, like when the movie starts to reveal a little bit more about what it is doing, um, it just, I I felt myself tearing up multiple times in this movie, even before anything worth tearing up about was happening. Just at the, like, the memory of being a kid and going on vacation and how these little the little glimpses of real life that you catch just by like seeing other people behaving, you know, seeing older kids and learning a little bit about life through watching them and trying to have social interactions. It, it, it just had so much that made me feel very emotional. And then it lands, I, I think it sticks the landing in just a phenomenal way. Um, so I'm, yeah, I, I love this movie. It's so quiet and understated. I would not, fault anyone for not finding the same love you know like it is very much as a movie that you either gel with or you don't but to me this is absolutely one of my favorite movies of the year nice um yeah so i i had an extremely delayed reaction to this film um i you know like this movie ends with a lot of silence and just the sound of people in a room just sobbing yeah <laughs> like like it, it was like i was scared to get up afterwards because i thought i might slip on all the tears <laughs> that mm-hmm. were just rolling down that floor um and i in the moment i did not have that reaction to it um it it's you know for whatever reason i didn't connect on this film and i think part of the problem with my during the watching of the film disconnection was that I was watching the film from the wrong point of view. Um, Mm. And I think that unintentionally I watched the film the same way the filmmaker lived through the experience (laughs) (laughs) where it wasn't until afterwards when I reflected back upon it that I gained that appreciation for what it was doing. Um, Mm. Now, I also want to give a disclaimer, uh, which will be more important when we get into spoilers. Um, you know, the the filmmaker was in attendance. She mm-hmm. said this was inspired by a trip she took to Turkey with her father. Later on in this episode, I am going to attribute things to the person who made this film as if she right. is the character. Yeah. I do not know anything about the real life story of, of the filmmaker, but I will talk about the story talking about the filmmaker and i want the audience to have that abstraction because i'm going to make a lot of assumptions about the current state of mind of the person and state of minds of other people in that person's life um and i just want to get that out that like i i don't have a way of talking about this film without like linking those things in my head yeah well i think it makes sense because even without going into spoilers like throughout the film it is interspersed with the adult character of sophie who is clearly reflecting and clearly has something to do with film and art and is watching footage so that yeah this idea even if it is entirely a character there is a implied character of this movie who is the filmmaker making the movie as an autobiographical experience so even if charlotte wells didn't actually make it genuinely autobiographical i think it's totally yeah. fair to speak and think about it as if it were yeah which which to be fair makes all the annoying like we steven and i have this thing where we go to places uh where a filmmaker is in attendance and everybody in the audience afterwards during the q a asks questions that are like let me it, it, it they're, they're they're one of two things one is let me ask a really really dumb question that shouldn't be asked or let me try to sound smart while i'm asking a question to let you right. know that i'm taking i've taken one film course in my life um yeah, which is why there are no good questions <laughs> yeah there's no there, there aren't you really just go thank you for coming i loved your film i'm gonna sit down now <laughs> that's just yeah. what you do but i i think some of the questions that felt like the filmmaker was skirting around because of how uh anno- not annoying but like how uh 
sort of like, don't try to read in too much to the meaning of this one thing. Afterwards, thinking back, I started to think that maybe the question wasn't just, I don't want to talk about this thing. It was maybe I'm not able to talk about this in a room full of people because that the answer to that question has too much meaning behind it. And this is right. not the place that I want to have that conversation, right? Like, because yeah. I, once again, I cannot separate the filmmaker from this character um, and, and what certain visual themes in the film, I think, mean in, in what feels like a very obvious way once you've had time to sit and think about the film um, and discuss it a little bit. So, so I, I think, I think in the end, this is a very, very beautiful film that is really a person that is at a place in their life reflecting on a moment in time, which may or may not be the last time they saw somebody happy <laughs> and just mm -hmm. trying to think back on like what that moment meant in the time. And, and I think that like part of the reason why I didn't fully connect with this film at first is because I was watching from young Sophie's eyes and it was kind of a bunch of strung together moments that didn't have a lot of meaning in the moment. And at like, you know, when, when I watch a film, you know, like eighth grade or something, right? Like I am putting myself in the place of the eighth grader, right? Like right. I am watching the world from that person's and I'm experiencing the film from, from their eyes. This film is experienced from the adult thinking back on what she saw as a child mm -hmm. and recontextualizing it with an adult brain. So I, I, I was, I was not feeling the film as an adult until after it was done. And I went back through it and began to like dissect a bunch of things. And I, and I think that this is an incredibly beautiful film that I watched incorrectly the first time through <laughs> and, and really like, I, I look at the dialogue that she is trying to have as a filmmaker and like, this is a, a, beautiful and tragic story that like I think is hugely impactful I feel so sad about some of the questions she was asked <laughs> in context of what I assume may or may not be real life things that mm -hmm. she has experienced um and and yeah I, I I I I really greatly appreciate the experience of getting to see this film even if I didn't have the waterworks that most of the people in the audience had in the moment and had to mm -hmm. like sit and reflect on it after the fact I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And even for me, I mean, I, I loved it in the moment and, you know, teared up a couple times, but it was honestly over the next few days of just having it in my brain, it felt more and more moving to me, Yeah, um, yeah. which is the kind of movie that I love, right? It's a movie that kind of like nestles inside of you and then keeps like working on you for a while. Um, I it's interesting because I feel like I'm it would be like revisionist of me to say that while I was watching all of this movie I was seeing it from the you know past tense like a future adult looking back watching it I don't know if I felt that the whole time so much as like it made me like at first that feeling is just nostalgia right this is a clearly set in the past right it's set in a time where you would go on vacation and do whatever there was there to do <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. you play an arcade game you go to the karaoke night you lay around at the pool there are older kids you know hanging out and you join them because what else are you going to do you're in this place you know and the just the to me there's a very nostalgic feeling just about the ability to be bored with someone it's like a thing that we kind of don't have that much anymore yeah. um we can still be bored but being bored is more frantic right it's like all the information at your disposal and you're scrolling right it's very different from laying around making conversation about nothing right making conversation about whatever's on your mind playing with whatever there is to do at this you know mid-level hotel that you're staying at um and i just found that already very nostalgic in a way that felt like a memory that made me feel emotional and so then when it became more clear that the whole film is structured as a memory i think like i was already tapping into my own feelings about like on a much different level than what maybe the filmmaker is grappling with like the little things you lose when you you know when you stop having the innocence of childhood and you start having the kind of perspective of being an adult um 
yeah, I, I, I don't have a lot more to unpack there, except I just, I found the very idea of this being a story about a child set, you know, a, two decades ago in a time when I was also <laughs> a child um, <laughs> to already be inherently emotional, even without necessarily having picked up on other clues yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, like in, in one of the, you know, one of the, you know, I'll, I'll call it a good example of a question. Somebody from the audience asked was like, you know, how did she get performances out of this child? And one of the things that film was talking about was, you know, the, this child actor was, sort of in a way incapable of not incapable sorry wrong word but, but like had would would actively avoid getting too emotional at moments right so it's kind of like i can see like in the grand context of like watching this film afterwards i 100 percent understand why you would like obviously this child actor you know actress is is you know super cute super charismatic like like you know star material right there like like yeah. like she she you the camera loves hanging out with her but on top of that in the the context of this world the character is a little bit oblivious or avoidant of the stakes of different moments and what potentially yeah. her father might be going through and i think that like in a way it's like is it brilliant acting or like uh, a, a fault of the character of this person that made them perfect to play this role in this moment. And it's like, there, there's things where I'm like, man, it's like, I can see why she was chosen for this role, you know, depending on how like the chemistry reads and everything went, like, it just seems like that, like that's exactly what you want from, from the child in this moment, because it, it sells that, which in a way, may have been why I disconnected in the moment. But once again, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, it's friggin' makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very, um, it, it's a movie that has a story it wants to tell you, and it does it by showing you a character who seems oblivious to it or is dancing around it. Like I, I, I wouldn't say she's always oblivious. Like there are little things that she does that seem like I am going to cheer my dad up, or we just had an interaction that was a little awkward and I'm going to zag like I'm going to do a thing that like changes the subject or pokes at him in a way that like to the best of my ability is going to make him feel better like I, yeah. I think she has a little bit of that awareness but for the most part you that yeah the movie is about what it isn't telling you directly you know um save and I always love this you know just like I I loved honey boy <laughs> so much and honey boy is a mix of like realism like naturalism and then tiny little flights of fancy you know tiny little moments where the thing couldn't possibly have happened that way or you couldn't have known that it happened that way and yet yeah. the filmmaker is just giving you a glimpse of it this movie i think with the exception of one very impactful scene very late in the movie this one sticks with the naturalism more but it has little muted moments where you're like that that is an artistic flourish and I love it because it it reminds me that I am dealing with a crafted memory, you know, not necessarily yeah. a documentary <laughs> narrative. And I, I just thought it for my own taste where I really like when they don't just say the quiet part out loud. I love this movie's commitment to not saying everything it wanted to say, I, which is why the Q&A, which had a few okay questions, but for the most part was people being like, hey, what does this symbolize? What did it mean by this? What did it mean when he did this? I was like, "You're why are you trying to break this movie for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. Though, though my favorite is the question about the title. <laughs> yeah. That was... which, is, which is pretty amazing, that response. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I still enjoy whatever made up meaning of the title I would craft for this because I feel like there's plenty plenty of ways you can go here and she the filmmaker can say whatever she wants about the origins of the title and what After Sun means you know in, in Scotland she speaks English like she understands that it is an ambiguous phrase that after is clearly in the title like I don't <laughs> I, I don't believe her when she acts like it was just a like working title that stuck and it's a happy coincidence. I think there's some 
somewhere along the way she knew that you can bring what you want to bring into the title and she liked it that way yeah 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 but it but it is also great for like the, what it what it what its reference is to for people like for 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 an american audience has no context at all um but mm-hmm. for you know broader audiences uh <laughs> it has some pretty straightforward forward meanings yeah yeah, do you have anything else that you want to talk about uh, before we get into spoilers? Um, the, the only thing that we haven't explicitly said yet that I think is worth mentioning is the the film, and I'm sure other movies do this. It, you know, it almost feels like a trope in some movies where it, it includes moments where the character, uh, the daughter Sophie, is filming her father and like playing back and watching footage. And there's this idea of looking at someone through a screen and this kind of home movie quality of pieces of it that just like completely wrecked me emotionally like it just (laughs) it it played me like a fiddle like it it doesn't do exactly how to get to my emotions and i think it does it beautifully and unlike a lot of movies that kind of would just throw some home video footage somewhere for a powerful emotional moment this one really lingers and i think makes it part of the story and makes it part of the budding filmmaker who is loosely inspiring this work so i i feel like it does it well it pulls the heartstrings just right but it doesn't feel cheap the way that occasionally that move feels cheap i think it feels like really really earned Uh, i I will say one more thing too uh (laughs) you, you kind of inadvertently reminded me of it like one of the funny things about this being a story that is intentionally about memory and, you know, even in the description on IMDb, it's, it's filling in the gaps of where the memory is like, like part of it is real memory and part of it is it filled in memory. And there, there were a few moments that like made me scratch my head in the film where I was like, like they feel like continuity errors. But then mm-hmm. when you think about it in the sense of that, like, no, she is filling in the gaps and that is okay. Like it's, it's purposely, the continuity errors are actually part of the process and not yeah. and and specifically i want to talk about uh for most of this f- film the father has a cast on his arm <laughs> yeah and there's a moment where he dives into a pool to take photos with an underwater camera and my first thought was like i, I don't think you're supposed to get casts wet <laughs> and mm-hmm. then like in the next scene he's taking a shower and holding his cast outside of the shower and i'm like yeah, you're not supposed to get cats with the cast's yeah. wet. And then it was like, but like afterwards I was like, yeah, she's just remembering this moment of like, yeah, we were taking underwater photos and she's probably not going to remember if her dad was literally like right, holding one arm in the air. Nobody on the podcast knows the motion I'm doing, but like imagine him like ducking underwater and taking like a weird angle photo while he holds mm-hmm. one hand in the air. Like she's not going to remember that. She's going to remember when I dove in and dad dove in after me and stuff like that. And yeah. Yeah, it worked, but it was kind of in the moment. I was like, I was like, what? You can't do that with a cast. Yeah, and I think I, I I can't think of other examples, but the little well, there are clear examples when the movie is taking more um, artistic liberty and filling in the blanks of yeah. what her father is doing. But I think those little continuity issues are part of what make the movie feel a little spellbinding, feel like a memory, like a little piece of you is like, huh, this is. I'm not just watching in real time, you know, a daughter bond with her father. Like I'm something more is happening. And I think it, it has an interesting effect. Yeah. I wanted to say, so in spoilers, we are going to talk about a musical moment in this movie, which is kind <laughs> of clearly the centerpiece of the film, or at least maybe the like thesis statement of the film. Um, but there are actually two music moments that made me tear up. Um, and one that I feel like is almost as emotional for me at least was little Sophie in karaoke singing <laughs> losing my religion off key but bless her heart waiting for her dad to come up and join her in karaoke and i the fact that the movie just lets the whole song like the whole thing play out the way it does i that was the closest to eighth grade for me that i felt in this moment where i really felt like i am now in the mind of you know, a, a girl who is putting herself out there and all of the competing feelings that are attendant to that. Um, and yeah, it just got me. It got me in the eighth grade place. And most of this movie is striking a different chord than that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's actually funny that you bring that up because, you know, I, I've already I've already 
let slip that in the moment this film wasn't completely gelling with me as much as it did when I like dissected it after the fact. Um, but th- also, uh, you know, we already mentioned that we saw this at a screening, but like this is probably the first time in like quite a while that we have literally been sitting almost almost directly next to each other during a screening. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, <laughs> your wife was between us, but uh, yeah. you know, like this is the first time they were actually sitting together. And in that scene, I was like. I wonder if Steven thinks this was as good as eighth grade. <laughs> it is different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's much different. It's different than eighth grade. I, I think it is, um, I mean, we'll get to it when we get to verdicts, which I guess we're about to do. <laughs> I, I think it is intentionally more difficult than eighth grade. Yeah. And that is a virtue, but also... Eighth grade is so good at not being difficult. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Should we get to verdict, Steven? Yep. If you're going to even say must see, recommend the caveat, wait for until past the caveat or must avoid, what would you give it? Must see. Again, if this isn't in my top three or four of the year, it means a whole lot of really good shit happened in the next couple months. <laughs> I, I just love this movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a must-see as well. Um, you know, even with my sort of delayed reaction to it, um, I think it's a film that, you know, like, it it sits with you. You know, like, I, I you know, last weekend we had, we had planned to um, record three episodes back-to-back. We started a little bit later than expected, and we were sort of leaving steam or losing steam by the time we were about to sit down and start after sun. Um, you know, and we, you know pulled an audible and decided to uh, hold it off for a week and do the recording now and i was actually like pretty grateful because i wanted more time to sit with this film i think it it is a film that has sat with me for a while and you know has kind of forced me to think about it um and and sort of deal with sort of the the ramifications and the mindsets of the character if not the filmmaker um and it's you know it's 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 not often that you know a film is that stimulating you know like sometimes it's it's thinky enough to make you really want to think about it but this is like a different kind of thinky right it's a feely feely thinky sort of kind of thing where you're like man that that sort of just is still a weight that i am carrying after having seen it and after having sat with it and like you know it's it's not every day that you get to have that experience yeah it's interesting because I, you know, when we were starting to record, I even mentioned it's been a week and I'm trying to like put myself back in the place I was when I was watching it. This isn't the kind of movie where every detail is like living in my head and I'm just recalling certain scenes over and over again. It's like the feeling of the movie has been living somewhere in my body <laughs> yeah, for yeah. the last week. And like I can tap into the feeling of the movie very easily. <laughs> and that place is your heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and your cheer talks. <laughs> um well uh as we mentioned we are probably going to have like a good you know a good long dissection of this that is going to be full-blown spoilers but for now if you haven't had a chance to see this film which i assume is most of the people listening um you should kind of like pause on this don't please don't listen forward for now come back later after you've had a chance to see after sun um but for now Stephen miller if people want to find you throughout the week where can they do that uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want any of the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. Um, if you want to get all of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from a track selected from artlist.io, so hopefully you are enjoying that. Um, completely chosen at random song. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that music is going to fade up now. And when that music fades out, we're going to be in full-blown spoilers. Um, so watch out. Go check out this film and come back and join us for that conversation. See you in a sec. All right, we are back. Uh, this is the after part of our review of After Sun, and we are talking full-blown spoilers. Stephen Miller, where would you like to get started? 
Um, I don't know. I mean, there's the... Should we just dive into kind of the central thing hanging over the movie? You know, the 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 heavy idea at the center of it, which is that... And I, I'm going to phrase it my way. So I have actually not done any digging into the life of Charlotte Wells. You know, I, I don't know what autobiographical things are out there necessarily. Um, so I'm speaking only in the context of the movie, right? In the context yeah. of the movie... It is very clear that adult Sophie no longer has a relationship with Paul Mescal's character, uh, Callum. She no longer has access to him, even though she wants to. It is clear that he was wrestling with demons, even at the time that he has struggled with depression, that he has been very sad, that she wants to reach him and can't. That is the text of the film. I would say the very strong subtext is that he has passed away and that he very possibly took his own life not that long after the events of the film, or at least started a downward spiral of depression where she couldn't reach him anymore, and then eventually that ended. You know, it it could be a story of addiction and how you lose someone in that manner. It could be a story of depression of someone just, it could frankly be a leave no trace type story where like the, this person uh, retreats into themselves to a point where she as a daughter just had to let him go, you know, but I think it is very clear, even if not explicitly stated that suicide is a like strong implication of the story. Yeah. And I don't know when, I started to pick up on that implication. There are a few hints early in the movie that Callum is, if not depressed, he's like unhappy with his life or his life isn't really going the way he wants it to, that he is trying to put on an excited face occasionally for his daughter, but that something creeps into him occasionally and just puts him in a different mood. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you talk about it before we go into the big musical number that I would say comes as close <laughs> as anything to actually making it explicit. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I think I think that obviously there's a lot of visual imagery that alludes to to suicide. Um, and I think that, you know, that could just be metaphor and it could be a lot of things. Um, I personally think that the rug itself is the last piece of the puzzle um mm. just the the choice to purchase a rug that you can't afford mm. because you know you'll never have to pay it back i think was kind of like mm. the last piece of the puzzle that i needed to like solidify that thought in my head um and the fact that she has that it's sitting under her bed she puts her feet on it every morning when she gets up or in the middle yeah. of the night when she gets up like it, it's her trying to get back to this moment i think that you know like we'll, we'll get into the dance number at the end but like like i kind of tried to allude to at the beginning that like i think this is really a film about like like you know in in the non-spoiler part of the review i said it's the last time that maybe she ever saw her father happy and I think it's the last time she saw her happy and alive or him happy and right. alive. And that's sort of what it is. On top of that, I think that the adult character of Sophie is the reason she is reflecting back on this now. Not that she hasn't carried with her for her whole... Obviously, she has a bunch of his stuff, has the tapes, but I think she maybe hasn't gone back to review them that much. But I think that she, as an adult, is also you know dealing with depression and her own demons mm -hmm. this is also her birthday probably her 32nd birthday or whatever birthday. yeah like yeah. so it's i think that there is a lot of her trying to understand how she got to the place she's in now it you know in the contemporary sense of the word with where her dad was at the time and her looking back and saying the signs and then you know in that dump dance number i think it's i think it's her trying to bring him back from where she is now right like she sees like mm -hmm. she, like at the time she didn't want to dance with her dad right that yeah. that's like you know one thing that like i'm i'm not a very public dancer you know like i sure i'll yeah i'll, I'll dance around my apartment and stuff <laughs> you know by myself when i'm alone in private but like i don't right. like being on display and like in the moment of like the child like her dad's like come dance with me and like he's just like this is his outlet and it's like 
you you know you don't know whether he is trying to be happy or actually being happy in that moment and she's just like dad i don't want to do that this is stupid and she i think she's kind of thinking back to that moment and like that was her chance to actually enjoy and have fun with him in that moment right before they said goodbye for the last time the next day at the airport and stuff like that and i think that there's just like there's like so much stuff there that's like incredibly incredibly heavy and it's like you can see the filmmaker whether or not this is the real life story and what she went through the filmmaker is dealing with the ideas of that and it's just you know it's i I think it's a really powerful whatever it's doing it is firing on all cylinders and it's like it's hard to not look at all these moments differently by the end of the film which is obviously what they're trying to do but then also think about the adult version of sophie and how she is feeling about herself as an adult even though the adult version of her is not really a character in this film until the very mm-hmm. end it's still it's like a double recontextualization of the memories because it's her trying to reach into the past and grab on to these moments that she maybe didn't understand or appreciate at the time and maybe is saying in herself now as an adult and kind of just trying to to deal with that um so i yeah i, I think it's really really beautiful and uh you know i I, I did one of those things where I started to Google it and because there wasn't anything in the top result, I just closed the browser and was like, gone, I'm out right. of here. <laughs> yeah, because it's, I mean, you know, there I, I don't want to keep harping on another movie, but, but it, like, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, but Honey Boy, you know, was easily my number one in 2019, you know, the year, the year that it came out. And that was a movie that very explicitly was saying, I'm going to grapple with the difficult painful memory of a parent you know and that didn't make it subtext that made it very clearly text you know the main character is in uh lucas hedges is in therapy at the beginning of the movie and he's talking about his childhood and it, it, it is making it very clear that it is autobiographical and so i don't know if you were followed the recent news cycles where Shia LaBeouf talked about how like his dad is nothing like that movie. He made it all up or whatever. Like that is a movie that is actually damaged. I would say by the lack of authenticity because it is saying very directly, this is authentic. This is a true story. This is me, you know, yeah. look how brave I am. I would say after son is even if nothing like this, ever happened i don't think this movie is damaged at all by that because it is so much about letting you bring what you want to bring into it and doing this character study and this um this feeling you know and and again we both have similar theories over the basis of this movie but even if it is only a metaphor for no longer being close to a parent or the last time that you had that kind of innocent connection with them the last time you could dance with them because you had a i don't know rebellious teenage year and you started to resent your dad for moving far away and not being able to spend time with you anymore and you fell apart like even if it were purely metaphor i think the emotion is still so powerful there and then of course the the strongest interpretation of it which is also the one that i hold makes it so much more profoundly sad that that moment of the dance and uh so the song in this scene which anyone who's listening now hopefully has watched the movie already uh is <laughs> under pressure and i don't remember how much of the song plays but the part that i really remember that starts to cut between her in real life 11 year old sophie dancing with her dad on their last day together and the strobe lit nightclub of her memory or of the shared depression that they both experienced you know you can read in however you want to to what that means the the bridge is starting to happen where freddie mercury is singing can't we give ourselves one more chance why can't we give love one more chance why can't we give love one more chance this is our last dance this is our last dance this is ourselves under pressure and like if she had written that song, it would be the most explicit description of what the movie is about. And the fact yeah. that this song 
speaks for itself there. It is just like one of those miracles of finding the perfect song to put in the perfect moment. Um, and the director even addressed that at the end of the movie where she said her her editor told her, if you can't get under pressure, then we don't have a movie. Yeah. And I think that was hyperbolic, but I think it is such a perfect encapsulation of this one release where we're going to be like, now the movie is going to... She can't say it out loud, but she can let the movie sing it out loud, right? And I think there's just something so beautiful and heart-wrenching about that moment. And it kind of reverberates backwards where the, you know, Callum, the, the night where he doesn't answer the door, you know, when she comes home and he's he's not there or he's not answering the door. Um, and it shows him diving into waves, like lapping waves in the dead of night, you know, um, him smoking a cigarette and dancing outside when she can't see him anymore, him crying on the rug when she's not there to see that he's crying. All, all of these moments that we didn't see, I feel like that under pressure scene like echoes back into all of it and makes you feel the kind of crushing blow of this dad who's taken on a kind of like mythical status in her life because he's not a real person she can ask questions to anymore. He is a mystery for her to kind of fill in and the yeah I don't know. I, i'm not saying anything you aren't saying already but that the feeling that she clearly struggles with some form of depression or guilt yeah i don't know how much her feelings are tied to her father and how much is her being afraid of you know, having that feeling passed down and thinking about her father as like, how do I at this age avoid the same kind of despair, you know, that I yeah. know he must have been struggling with. But all of that, it just, I don't know, I just think it reverberates through the film backward in a really, really powerful way. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's another scene, um, you know, one, one of the other examples of, of the use of, of the the dv camcorder and like the the recorded memories that was you know it's it's a you know it's a really nice you know artistic flourish where it's like you are watching a tv that is set up on a dresser next to a mirror and you have what the camera is seeing you have the reflection of what's happening in the room and it's kind of like this this combination of 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 this the recorded memory and the other memory. But another thing that you get in that moment is all of the father's books on the shelf. Mm. And they're all like meditation and like all these things that are like clearly him trying to center himself some way, like trying to get his yeah. emotions under control and stuff like that. And there's like a lot of things like that too, where it's like, obviously you see him and it's played for a joke of him, like doing Tai Chi randomly right. <laughs> while they're just in Turkey for no reason. But then like mm -hmm. when that's put with like all the other, uh, you know, it, it's, it might as well be like a stack of like self-help books or self-help yeah. books. Um, but there's like little, little things like that where it's like, you know, who knows if she's she's trying to take up all that stuff as, as an adult too, as well. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. it just there, there's a bunch of little moments like that, which were uh, which were really nice to sit and just like watch all those kind of things. Um, which you know, who knows if she actually remembers those things or just imagines those books mm -hmm. as part of why he was just doing the tai chi, right? Yeah, because that's the thing. Early, even early in the movie, he's doing that kind of thing, and I would say early in the movie. I was expecting this to be more of the story of the the fa the dad who had me a little too young who probably wasn't ready for the responsibility and forgiving him of his shortcomings. You know, that that's kind of the the template that you assume you're entering into, you know, yeah. when you watch this movie or at least I did. And so all of those things that he's doing like tai chi at the time I was feeling more as like the the quirks of this guy who is still trying to find himself, right? Who's still trying to figure out who he is, yeah. having this 11-year-old daughter along for the ride. Um, and then, yeah, it just kind of evolves over the movie into being another... I don't want to say clue because I don't think the movie is a puzzle. Like, again, I think whatever the the fictional reality in the movie is doesn't matter as much as the feeling of memory and of trying to understand someone that you can no longer 
ask directly. Um, but it, it does just kind of all those details become breadcrumbs that you look back on later in a really powerful way. So, yeah, I also we, we haven't explicitly mentioned this yet, but after the big, you know, Bowie, Freddie Mercury under pressure scene, which is I know everyone is going to say this, but it is clearly the scene of the movie. Like it, it's definitely the most emotional one. Um, yeah. The release, you know, after a whole movie of kind of building up to it quietly, there is this amazing final little touch of fantastic realism where she is going through security, you know, saying goodbye to him and then leaving in the airport. And then he walks away and opens the door and is entering back into that nightclub, you know, directly from the the airport. And I think it's just such a, it's the perfect amount of fantastical to remind you of the memory palace that this movie is living in without going full on, look at the metaphor, look at what I'm trying yeah. to explain to you. I, I thought it was just like the perfect amount. It's also that, you know, one, another, another, uh, you know, drop in the bucket for like like that hallway is clearly like an ethereal hallway <laughs> you know what right. I mean? like it's that hallway yeah. is is not the actual airport it's like he is the only person and he walks back there and the door goes to a place that's not actually there so it's kind of it's another another yeah. drop in that bucket um definitely but... any last happy thoughts about the film <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because even though we're you know we're talking about the meaning of the film and that depending on your interpretation, it is either extremely bittersweet or very, very depressing. Um, <laughs> but my experience of the movie while watching it and even in the days after and carrying it with me has not been depressing, you know, because it, even though the movie is framed around an adult looking back and trying to find answers, you know, the movie frames about being not resolved, not having closure. I don't think the tone of the movie feels like a deep aching wound. The, the tone of the movie feels more melancholy about it. it. It feels more like I have lived with this for a long time and I'm ruminating now on how it reflects on my own life, but I'm not asking you to receive it as a like, black hole of sorrow you know yeah. like I, I like i feel like the movie is if not uplifting it has so many human character moments it has so many florida project e type <laughs> interactions between sophie and callum that I, I i just don't remember it as depressing like that isn't the final feeling i have i think it is a a beautiful simultaneously uplifting and sorrowful thing and that is kind of my sweet spot when it comes to art yeah Maybe it's just the way I <laughs> I connected after the fact that I mostly mm. come down on the depressing side, um, but yeah. uh, but it's still beautiful either way. <laughs> mm. Cool. Well, I think that's probably going to do it for our review and spoiler conversation about After Sun. Now we have to uh, go off and talk about another film, which is both funny and potentially depressing as well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We'll see you in our review of the Banshees of Inisherin. Inish, <laughs> Whatever you say, I'm going to one-up it. <laughs>